More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, hanging out with all of you. Appreciate you guys as we roll through Tuesday edition of the program. We talked about the COVID madness that continues to descend upon our cities across our country. One of the other wild things that's going on right now is an attempt to use COVID as a justification for why the overall crime rate is skyrocketing all over the country. 2020, we discussed with you, FBI data showed nearly a 30% increase in the overall number of murders, which was the largest increase on record. Things so far in many cities are not getting better. It's likely that we are going to see an overall increase from that massive increase in 2020 in 2021 as well, meaning that things are not going to have gotten better in many of the places across the country. Why could that be occurring? And what is the overall impact on so many of you all over this country? Well, this is interesting. Uh, Beverly Hills Police Chief Mark Stainbrook is willing to actually speak out. Of course, Beverly Hills, a part of Los Angeles, where we have seen overall in the city of Los Angeles, massive increases in crime all over California. And he says, uh, the police chief there does, does that the reason why crime is surging is because California voters have been sold a bill of goods when it comes to criminal justice reform. The California voters were sold this bill of goods that uh, these laws would reduce the criminal population in jails, but the money that was saved would be used for job placement, drug and alcohol treatment, uh, mental illness, housing, those sorts of things. And we just haven't right. seen that those services on the back end to reduce crime. Even if that were a good plan, Clay, over the long term, which is highly debatable, the notion that you should allow for what we've seen, which is the loosening of the enforcement of the law and the undermining of police simultaneously and that that wouldn't result in people suffering now. You can talk about better services and outreach and you know all those things, and that's all well and good. By the way, that's already going on 
at stunning levels in places like New York, Los Angeles, where there's a you know a massive uh, you know social welfare and services state and operation, a bureaucracy that's by the way highly inefficient and not very good at its job. But there's already all kinds of stuff going on with regard to that. But in the meantime, people get their homes broken into, get their stuff stolen, and get clubbed over the head in New York City here when they're on the way to the subway. I mean, you know, crime, all, you know, the crime that matters to you is the crime that's local, right? So I, I just want to make sure that we always keep in mind, this is true of basically every major city across the country and most medium-sized cities. If you look at, at places uh, across the country, I, I've mentioned Wichita and Lansing because I, I crunched the numbers on those. There are others, though, that are, you know, in the less than less than uh, half a million range, a couple of hundred thousand, where they've still had big increases in crime. Portland, a city of 600,000, 1,000 shootings in the last year, right? So, Clay, what we have, though, is a Democrat party that is in denial about this because what are they going to say, right? How are, what, they, they pushed all this stuff like they had the panacea, undermine cops, more social services, less crime, everybody's happier, more social justice. What we've gotten is old ladies being clubbed on the head on the way to the store, those guys being let out the same day because no cash bail, people being... Uh, either not prosecuted for felonies or very lightly prosecuted for felonies because social justice is going to be better. This is madness. AOC said just last week, this was the quote, folks. We have to talk about specifics, for example, because we're actually seeing a lot of these allegations of organized retail theft are actually not panning out. This is an interview last week. I believe it's a Walgreens in California cited it, but the data didn't back it up. I mean, this woman's living on another planet. She's not even living in another country. She's living on another planet. This is insane. Being concerned with the punishment of criminals being too strong is a luxury of low crime. And I hate to sound like Matthew McConaughey in uh, True Detective, but time is a flat circle. What ends up happening over and over again is we go through the same cycles in this country. People get convinced that police have too much power and there's a couple of viral videos that go out and it becomes anecdotal evidence to support an indictment of police everywhere in the wake of George Floyd. And the overall result is so eminently predictable. Crime skyrockets. The people that are ostensibly being protested for are the ones who bear the brunt of the crime because make no mistake about it. Black Lives Matter, in an unbelievable irony, leads to the more active Black Lives Matter protests are, the more black people who die. That happens almost every single city. If you look at the data, the more active and protests are, the less police are able to do their job, the media disappears, and the murder rate skyrockets for those who are left behind in those cities. And so, this is eminently predictable It's why in 2022 we need to see a massive outreach of Republican voters to repudiate, defund the police, and to let police do their jobs again and put violent criminals back behind the bars. I mean, to me, even though people want to pretend it didn't happen, Waukesha is a perfect example of this, Buck. You had a guy who never should have been on the streets at all. Daryl Brooks uh, was a violent, hardened criminal who was allowed out with a limited bail and then, what we believe, committed racially charged murders in Waukesha and the media wants to pretend it didn't happen because the media, 
directly has blood on its hands with what happened there, but so do the DAs who are not enforcing the law and are allowing violent criminals. You see this all the time, Buck. How often do you see whenever uh, one of these incidents happens, the person who does it almost never has any kind of clean rap sheet, right? They have been in, in and out of prison for years, violent crime after violent crime, They had no business being out. This is happening all over our country, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's Phoenix, whether it's Houston, uh, whether it's New York City, Atlanta, you name the place, it's happening everywhere. Clay, there was just a horrific fatal stabbing in New York of a Ph.D. student. There actually were two stabbings, one fatal, the other. Columbia Ph.D., right? I'm sorry? A Columbia Ph.D. student, right? Yeah, the Columbia Ph.D. student um, who was stabbed to death. And unsurprisingly, the guy who stabbed him to death had already been arrested 11 times. Now, I understand that the story that we're supposed to believe here from the criminal justice reformers out there on the left, the the Soros-thinking, social justice, progressive prosecutor types, or whether the prosecutors are just individuals, but that, that same mentality is... Oh, my gosh, some guy got caught for the third time stealing a pair of socks and he's going to prison forever for it. And that shouldn't happen. Now, by the way, that shouldn't happen. But what also shouldn't happen is you change laws that aren't really going to stop that, but will result in people who have multiple felony convictions, arrests. I mean, once you've been arrested 10, 11, 15, 20 in the case of a guy who hit an old lady here on the street some months ago, but it went viral because there was video of it, literally just, just clocked an old lady in the head walking past her, broad daylight, an elderly woman. The guy had been arrested a hundred times, okay? So at what point do the libs have to accept that when someone's been arrested 15 times, 50 times, 100 times, it's not because the system is so unfair to them, at least the criminal justice system. If anything, it's too permissive. And there are people that need to be taken off the street for the safety of those around them. Notice with COVID, you know, you're a threat to other people if you breathe. But with violent felons, it's, hey, come on, let's not be too harsh. Let's not get crazy. You know, this guy doesn't need to go to prison. He only, you know, uh, hit his fifth old lady over the head with a hammer. Maybe if we give him, you know, some more social services, he'll stop hitting old ladies with hammers. The irony here also, Buck, is that maybe the only thing Joe Biden's almost gotten right in his entire career, 1994 crime crime bill, which he now has repeated. I know. Isn't that amazing? The <laughs> one thing. And I the will one say thing he were, may have gotten right. There were Republicans at the time just out of like sheer hatred of Biden were saying, oh, he even turned his. And I'm like, no, no, guys, but that was that was actually good. <laughs> that was actually it's one of the only things was, he's gotten that right. That was actually a good thing. And now we should be hitting him for abandoning the one good thing that he did. Anyway, I mean, it's it's crazy. Everyone's saying, I mean, you know, we've got. You just go down the list, right? New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Phoenix, Minneapolis, all these cities, Claire, people listening across the country, Houston. Uh, Shootings way up, crime way up. What the heck is going on? Democrats. That's what's going on, folks. They're in charge. We're all about pets on this program. Yours, ours, we love them. We want our pets to be healthy and well-fed. One way to make sure that's happening is to give them the benefits of a healthy food supplement. It's called Rough Greens, and it's meant to supplement the dry kibble dog food you're feeding your dog every day. Dry dog food does not have the living ingredients your dog needs for a healthy digestive system. Vitamins, probiotics, enzymes, and antioxidants, just to name a few, those all come with Rough Greens. You sprinkle a little on your dog's food, you'll see just how your dog loves it. The ingredients that are in it really help with your dog's overall health, digestion, energy, you name it. 
what you get is a happier and healthier dog. Jason in Kansas is saying that with his dog. He now tells us that his dog pushes the bowl as quickly as possible so that the mixed, uh, the, the rough greens can be mixed in quickly. The folks at Rough Greens are so confident your dog is going to love it. They've got a special deal for you. Go to roughgreens.com slash EIB. They're going to give you the first bag free. All you pay is shipping. That's roughgreens.com slash EIB. Roughgreens.com slash EIB. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. There we have FDR right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. You've all, I'm sure, heard that before. Today is, of course, the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, Clay and I both like to weave history in our discussions here. And, you know, Clay, it, it is a reminder, I think, as, as first of all, so many things. I actually just read for the first time um, recently 
Uh, I'd never actually read With the Old Breed, which was largely the basis for the series, uh, The Pacific, right? And it's about a Marine who was at a couple of the nastiest battles uh, in the Pacific Theater in World War II. And it's, it's haunting to even read it. It is one of those things where you look back on the history of America, and there have been a lot of wars, a lot of battles fought, uh, the Marines and uh, the, the Navy and everyone who served in general, but the Marines in World War II in the Pacific Theater, what they were willing to go right into the teeth of it almost defies belief. I mean, it really was the Spartans at the pass of Thermopylae outnumbered 100 to 1 in terms of just the, the risk and the unbelievable, uh, you know, fearsome adversary that they were up against. No doubt. And and I think uh, and you probably have noticed this, too. There oftentimes is, I think, in World War II, a bias towards coverage of what happened in Europe because of the clear uh, delineation, the Nazis, Churchill, Hitler, the fact that the East Coast of the United States is so much closer to everything that was going on in Europe and obviously D-Day, such that the war in the Pacific is in many ways sort of ignored comparatively in terms of the scholarship surrounding World War II. And interestingly, there's even a little bit of an analogy with this in the Civil War. Uh, the war in the West, which obviously wasn't that far West at the time, but Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, uh, Georgia, everything in the Western theater gets a lot less attention than what happened with Lee and Grant and everybody in uh, the Eastern theater of the Civil War in such that what happened in Pearl Harbor and the shock of it all gets way more attention than the battles that took place in all of the Pacific theater. Really, what you get is a lot of times D-Day, and then everybody skips ahead to the atomic bomb and overlooks in many ways what had to take place in the Pacific theater yeah. and how savage that war was with Japan. Unbelievably high casualties taken in conflicts like Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, uh, numbers that, you know, it, the, the modern world just wouldn't be able, you know, modern Western societies wouldn't be able to handle a, a week of what we were seeing in terms of those figures uh, coming out of some of those battles. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, the way that this is covered and historically how kids learn about all this stuff in school. I'll just say this. We all know that the evils of the Nazi regime were something that still almost almost defies defies belief or defies possibility how can anyone be that evil the japanese imperial regime was really evil too and anybody who fought in that theater anyone who liberated pow's anyone who was you know in the philippines after the japanese occupation spent any time in mainland china after the japanese were through they allied with the nazis i mean i think this is often forgotten they were you know, the, the right hand in the Far East to the Nazi regime. And that was reflected in the way that they fought and the way that they treated POWs, the way that that regime completely dehumanized the enemy, abandoned all rules of warfare. And so, you know, because we also still have this ongoing debate about, oh, dropping the bomb. What we saw in the various theaters, whether it was uh, Okinawa, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, um, there was a willingness to essentially turn these islands into trench warfare battles and fight to the very last man. And that's why we're taking such high casualties, because we cleared out, you know, our, our soldiers, our Marines, um, and, and the people that were on the front lines were clearing out 
yard by yard, these volcanic islands, essentially, that are that are almost like a giant bunker was the way they'd been constructed. So it was, you know, I don't think there's really going to, I mean, a lot of the people listening to this are big World War II history buffs, so they know, but I don't think kids are learning this stuff. I don't think they're understanding the full scope and scale of what happened. I think it's well said, Buck. And not only that, this is living memory. You probably, Buck, have to- have been fortunate enough, as I have, to speak to so many different people who fought, both in the Pacific Theater and also in Europe. My grandfather was on the USS Bataan. He was there for Lady Gulf, which was the biggest naval engagement, I believe, in terms of ships involved in modern history. Um, and he rarely talked about it, but a lot of you listening to this, I'm sure, know, when you talk to World War II veterans... Toward the end, toward the latter four or five years of, of the end of his life, a few times he would talk about what it was like for five days straight of kamikazes coming, and he would just start talking about it out of nowhere. I remember I told this story a few months ago, I think, uh, about my great uncle who had met Patton in, uh, while he was serving in Europe, and Patton was walking down the line and talking to uh, talking to the different soldiers, and they had been out fighting for a long time and he stopped in front of my great uncle and said have you gotten a chance to kill any germans yet and he said no and he said you will kid you will and the point i think that is so illuminative and and, and illustrative in so many ways is right now the way american history is being taught and i was a history major in school so i understand the concepts of historiography and how we decide to tell the narrative of the past But we are skipping over the living memory of the greatest generation. I believe 30 survivors of Pearl Harbor are scheduled to be at the uh, ceremonies today. And we're skipping over the greatest generation and the legacies that they have left us and are still here uh, illuminating. And instead, we're going all the way back to 1619 and trying to argue that America is founded as a fundamentally unfair and unjust country. And we're skipping right over your point, Buck, which is we went to war with the Nazis and with their allies in Japan who were determined to effectively destroy freedoms in the world in the living memory of many people that are here with us right now. And we're trying to pretend that that isn't the actual legacy of America when it clearly is. And it's just so fundamentally a lie uh, that it's why those generations and people who are closer to them are so patriotic because they understand what America represents. And younger generations are being taught, hey, 400 years ago, America was a bad place. And so you should hate this country today. It's a fundamental failure of our country to own our country's history in an honest and transparent way. There are parents and grandparents and maybe even some, you know, some uh, listening right now were, were there and saw some of this themselves. But a lot of the people listening have parents and grandparents who prevented a global totalitarianism from turning us all into slaves of an authoritarian system that is that is the legacy of america within the last hundred years which is a pretty remarkable thing when you think about it by the way it wasn't just the nazis and the imperial japan and their allies it's also the soviet union which we worked with in the second world war kind of because we had to under the circumstance a whole other conversation we had about how really twin uh you know, cousins of of the evils of authoritarianism, the Soviet regime and the Nazi regime, um, socialist evils, by the way. And and yet here we are now, as to your point, Clay, being told constantly that America is a 
bad place. And I know we make jokes about how, you know, the French would be speaking German if it weren't for us. But it's true. It's also worth remembering that, yeah, we can all kid about it now. But thanks to the, you know, thanks to some of the dads and granddads of people listening to this program right now and many people all across the country, uh, we actually do live in a free society. And it is worth it is worth fighting for. It's something to remind ourselves of, right? I mean, whatever whatever day we're dealing with, Clay, with the craziness of the left these days, we're not being asked to charge a machine gun nest at Guadalcanal when the chance of getting through that one alive is anybody's guess. Think about the difference, Buck, between people today who call others they disagree with Nazis on social media as opposed to the grandfathers and fathers of many of the people listening right now who had to fight actual Nazis. That's where we are as a country. We have the legacy uh, to now be able to just yell at people anonymously online who say mean things or things that may make us unhappy. Those guys had to actually risk their lives fighting legitimate Nazis. We're going to switch gears here for a second. We're going to also take some calls, uh, 800-282-2882. So if you want to give us a ring, I think we've got some calls lit, and we've also got a segment coming up with uh, someone from the Border Patrol Union to tell us what the heck is going on at the U.S.-Mexico border. That'll be the top of the next hour. That's all coming up. Why not start off the new year with a cost saving on your everyday cell phone bill? Switch from Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile to Pure Talk Cellular. You'll save substantial money every month and keep the same quality of cell phone service. Pure Talk Cellular is now used by and relied on by more people in this audience than ever before. Every one of them getting the same nationwide 5G service you'd expect from a leading cell phone carrier. What you wouldn't expect is a $30 a month price tag for unlimited talk text and 6 gigs of data. If you want unlimited data, they've got a great cost-saving plan for that too. But Clay, how do folks switch? Super easy. You keep your same phone number and phone. If you want a new phone in the same number, Pure Talk has a great deal this holiday season on iPhone 12 starting at just $479. Here's how you do it. From your cell phone, dial pound 250, say Pure Talk, and you can save an additional 50% off your first month. Plus, you can save on a new phone. That's pound 250, say Pure Talk. Some restrictions apply. Call for details. Welcome in, hour number three, Tuesday edition, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show, rolling through the program here. Encourage you to go sign up for the podcast if you haven't already. You can give us five star, lots of discussion points, all about the latest COVID madness. We talked with Alex Berenson at the top of the second hour. He was fantastic as well. So many different angles to discuss uh, so far in the program, and we bring in now one of the biggest stories and biggest failings of many failings in the Biden administration is what's going on at our southern border. We bring in now Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council, which represents rank and file Border Patrol agents nationwide. He had an op-ed yesterday with Fox where Brandon reported that in the month of November, the Border Patrol recorded more than 52,000 gotaways on the southwest border. Enough people, I'm reading from his article, to fill Joe Biden's hometown of Greenville, Delaware, 22 times. Brandon, is there any suggestion that the Biden administration basically throwing up their arms and re-embracing what the Trump administration had done with the remain in Mexico policy is going to fix what has been a sieve at our southern border? 
or is it possible for the Biden administration to fix the mess that exists right now? It is possible for them to fix it. Are they actually going to implement Trump's policies? No, they're not going to. They've, they've locked themselves in a corner. They know darn good and well that if they implement uh, the migrant protection protocols or more commonly known as Remain in Mexico, they know darn good and well that if they implement it properly, illegal border crossings will drop to historic lows. And if it drops to historic lows, then they're going to have to admit that they were wrong. They're going to have to admit that Trump got it right, that his border security policies were good. Um, and that they were wrong for causing all the chaos that they caused. They're not going to do it, which is why they're slow rolling it right now. I mean, we're only enrolling um, around 30 people um, at any given time into the migrant protection protocols. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that they're going to actually implement it properly because they know if they do, it's going to work. Hey, Brandon, it's Buck. So basically they're saying they're doing this so that then they can say they're doing something because the alternative is the continuation of the de facto open border status quo. I mean, I've been down there in some months, but last time I was down there at the border, Brandon, they were just, uh, the border patrol agents were telling me they are uh, overwhelmed, overstretched, to put it mildly, and that people who want to run illicit contraband, drugs, uh, human smuggling into the country, apart from the uh, situation of the migrants who are surrendering surrendering themselves and claiming credible fear, it's just all out of control. Can you give us a sense of where we are right now with the year in uh, the, you know, the overall year numbers? Like what how many illegals have actually crossed in? How many gotaways are we having a month? I mean, I think that puts it into perspective for everybody. And are we hitting all time records? I mean, have we ever had a year that's this open? So in fiscal year 21, which ended at the end of uh, September, we, we broke all records in both apprehensions and gotaways. Uh, we had more than 400,000 gotaways in, in 21 alone. Um, we had nearly 1.7 million apprehensions. And the first two months of this fiscal year, we already have 100,000 gotaways. Now, in the op-ed, I wrote 52,000 in the month of November. Um, but you couple that with the 48,000, just, just, just under 48,000 in the, in the month of, uh, October. And we're already at 100,000 in two months. We're on pace to go 600,000 gotaways. And on top of that, we're on pace to make two, uh, two million apprehensions. Yeah, this just, it's, they, this administration refuses to define the problem. And if they refuse to call this, a, um, um, uh, a, you know, the chaos that they've caused, if they refuse to define the problem, they're not going to come up with the solutions they need. I mean, all they say is, well, it's a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. It's not a crisis. It's a challenge. So if you don't define it as a crisis, you're not going to develop the policies, the programs, the operations that is going to allow us to fix the problem. They're just not going. Bra- Brandon, thanks for coming on with us. Several months ago, the Fox News was able to report on a mass collection of illegal immigrants, many of them Haitian, underneath a bridge, if I remember correctly, in Del Rio, Texas. They then cleaned up that huge uh, mass of people. But my understanding is the vast majority of those people were just allowed into the country. How many people that are coming across the border illegally are just being allowed to enter into the country, being given a report that they have to show up at court or whatever else, but then we just never end up hearing from those people. You talk about getaways and people who get across the border and all those things, but we're releasing a lot of these people into the country with the hope that they're going to show up for these uh, these court proceedings when many of them aren't. Isn't that a reality of what's going on? 
It is. It is. It's called a notice to appear. We will issue notice to, notices to appear or notices to report NTAs and NTRs. Um, with those NTAs, we give them a, uh, a de facto legal status. So, so imagine this. You cross the border illegally. You, you break our laws, and then you're rewarded by, giving, by being given a de facto legal status and released. The Border Patrol alone released um, approximately 150,000 people with NTAs um, in fiscal year 21. Then ICE released just as many. Um, then, we, then you also have to consider the unaccompanied uh, um, children that were released to HHS, ORR. Um, that's Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement. Um, they then released people to, uh, to foster homes. Um, it was nearly 600,000 people were released in fiscal year. So, so yeah, no, I mean, those are astronomical numbers. Wow. 400,000 gotaways. And then 600,000 people were released with NTAs or NTRs. A million people. That's how many people we added illegally to our population in fiscal year 21. We're speaking to Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council. He's got a great op-ed on foxnews.com published yesterday. Uh, Brandon, where does this where does this go? I mean, at, at some point you have to wonder how it's possible that this can continue as it is with the numbers just growing and growing month after month without some real... I mean, the American people are very... Actually, when they poll them, dialed in on the issue of immigration, think that illegal immigration is an important challenge to deal with, and yet there seems to be not only no political urgency in D.C. right now under the Biden regime to do anything about it, but obviously there's a general media blackout. One of the reasons why we want to have you on is to just keep making sure that we get the information out there all across the country. Where do you see this going? I mean, is this basically I'm asking you, does it seem like the people in charge right now like what's happening? Yeah, they, they it does. It does. It looks like they're pandering to their base. It, it truly it truly feels like this is a lame duck administration. It feels like they know that they're a one and done. And so they're going to try to get uh, as much done to to satisfy their liberal base as they possibly can. Um, you know, it, it's funny because as, as much as uh, as much as I love put on the uniform and, and going out and patrol the border, I'm heavily involved in politics uh, for my membership and, and any any intelligent person knowing what Biden's age was, you know, we all wondered when he won, you know, is he really going to run for reelection? Because if he is, he's going to be a centrist. He's going to be right down the middle. Obama, um, in his first term, he was he was pretty much down the middle. And then, of course, when uh, he, he won reelection, that's when he started uh, legislating through executive order. Um, but this administration, it truly feels like they know that they're a one and done. So they're trying to do as much to satisfy their liberal base as they possibly can in the four years that they have. Brandon, Joe Biden's people have tried to make a big deal of the fact that he's not been to the border uh, as, as it not mattering and that he had been to the border at El Paso back when he was running for president, I think in 2008 or whatever they tried to say. Why does it matter for the president, based on the people that you represent, to come to the border and see for himself what is happening there? As much as I hated the Haitian crisis, as much as I hated seeing um, how much stress uh, my fellow agents were under in, in that particular stretch of border, um, it was great that the American public got the visual. It was great that they got to see 
what is actually happening on the border. You know, we had at, at the at the top number, we had about 14,000 people under that bridge. Um, but we're arresting between five and 7,000 people every single day. Every single day. We're arresting more than a caravan every single day. And unless you come down here and actually see it, you will not get... Uh, you, you will not understand the full magnitude of what's taking place. If you don't go into the processing centers, I, I look back in, uh, in, in 2019 when, uh, when Vice President Pence went to McAllen, he went into the processing center. He saw how bad it was. And it was like night and day, the changes that they made. Um, and so if you do not come down and actually see for yourself what is going on, it's just like defining the, the the issue. If you don't see it, if you don't define it, you're never going to come up with the solutions, and that's the problem. And, and, and let's be clear, um, Joe Biden didn't come to the border. He drove through El Paso. Um, you know, it's 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 a far cry to drive through a border city to and then actually going out on the border, looking at uh, seeing whether or not we have the resources that are necessary, seeing all of the different things um, aspects on the border. All he did was drove through El Paso. He's never been to the border. Brandon, just want to know before we let you get back to speaking for the men and women of Border Patrol, how's their morale? How are they feeling about the mission and what they're being asked to do day in and day out? So 24 years I've been doing this job. Um, I, I've never seen the morale lower than, than what it is today. Um, you know, we, we put on the uniform, all law enforcement. This, this, this goes for law enforcement across the nation. I don't care if it's a Department of Public Safety, your, your local police officers, your county uh, sheriffs, every law enforcement officer, they put on that uniform because they want to do a job and protect the American public. We care about the American public. But when you put that uniform on and you know that all you have is, is people that are trying to defund the police, um, not, not putting policies in place to take care of the smashing grabs, um, not doing anything to actually secure the border, you really wonder why. Why is it um, that I continue to do it? And, 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 you know, thank goodness, thank goodness to, to my fellow agents for having that dedication and even in the face of what is taking place right now, they still, every day, put on that uniform, go out, do the best that they can to protect the American public. That's what drives them. Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council. Brandon, really appreciate you coming by. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. You guys have a good one. Clay, I got some breaking news for you real quick, buddy. Can I throw it out there? We'll, we're going to have you tackle this yeah, one when sure. you come back. Courtesy of our friend Christina Pouchard, the uh, press secretary for Ron DeSantis. Breaking, federal court blocks the Biden vax mandate for federal contractors. Oh, wow. Look at that. So that well, explainer that came we to just... be uh, even more even more necessary because that now has been changed. That is, uh, well, why don't we dive in that we come back? We will. Another loss in the federal courts for Joe Biden and his vaccine mandates. And you guys know holidays are close enough right now that everybody's trying to figure out what the right gift is. And I've got a gift that will make a big win for everybody in your family when it comes to originality and sentimentality. And it's thanks to Legacy Box, the company that's digitizing all your family memories stored away on VHS tape, Super 8 film, on old slides, old pictures. In a couple of weeks, Legacy Box will receive those from you and hand digitize each of them, making a digital file for you to click on and see. They've done it now for more than a million families, over 1.2 million, in fact, and counting 
all from their Chattanooga, Tennessee facilities. That's where hundreds of Legacy Box team members receive your precious family memories. Great Christmas gift idea because every family member can enjoy what Legacy Box does in the way of bringing family memories back to life. And it all starts with you ordering a Legacy Box to your gift recipient's house to fill full of videotapes and more. You're giving the gift of memories. And Buck, how you can get hooked up today. So easy, folks. Just go to this website, LegacyBox.com slash Buck. That's LegacyBox.com slash Buck. Find a great discount off their regular price this holiday season. LegacyBox.com slash Buck. There's plenty of Legacy Boxes in stock to fill right now. LegacyBox.com slash Buck. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome back, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We roll through the Tuesday edition of the program. Encourage you to download the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a minute. Give us five stars. Double go read the reviews. If you make double laugh, you may find yourself being read live on the program. This kind of makes me laugh because it's absurdly ridiculous. And unfortunately, it is where these policies on gender being a choice lead us particularly in the world of sports. There is right now 
a University of Pennsylvania swimmer. And I touched on this a little bit on Friday, but then this swimmer went and performed in a meet over the weekend and set all sorts of new crazy records. So at the University of Pennsylvania, there was a male swimmer who was on the team for three years and was really good, Buck, like an all-Ivy League caliber male swimmer. Then this swimmer decides to identify as a woman, gets estrogen treatments or whatever it is to fulfill NCAA rules for a year, and now is competing on the University of Pennsylvania women's team. This is not a made-up story. This is not an onion headline. This is not uh, some sort of crazy, outlandish, this can't be true story. This is really going on in the Ivy League. Three years, a male swimmer at an elite level for an Ivy League school, the University of Pennsylvania, decides to change gender, now swimming as a woman, and Buck, over the weekend, won the 1,650 by 38 seconds this man did, who is now swimming as a woman, by 38 seconds, and then also in a 500-meter race, won by nearly 15 seconds on pace for all-time records in NCAA races, this UPenn swimmer, a man who identifies as a woman. Now, this is an interesting part of this story, Buck. We have written about this at OutKick, the website that I run, a voice for sanity in the world of sports very often, outkick.com. You can check it out. After we wrote about it at Outkick, and after this story was widely shared on the internet over the weekend and early part of this week, several different swimming coaches and also several different swimmers in the world of women's swimming have reached out. They are terrified to use their actual names because of being called transphobic. But they are saying what I think many of you listening right now are saying. This represents the destruction of women's sports. You have all of these women, biological women, who have trained their entire lives to compete at a high level, and suddenly a biological man is crushing them, and they're afraid to speak out. Your thoughts, Buck Sexton? Well, this is is interesting because... You know, I've been uh, doing talk radio now, conservative talk radio, for 10 years. And I remember a decade ago uh, talking about how it was just a matter of time early on in the LGBTQ trans movement, right? Yes. It was just a matter of time before you would have the bathroom policies, the athletes competing against, you know, the people of, of different genders. Um, I even said, what about uh, mixed martial arts fighters? And then there was a mixed martial arts fighter who is biologically male. I mean, who was just destroying. I mean, it was horrifying to watch. It was not even close when this former male MMA fighter is fighting women right in the ring. The things. Oh, and then also in prisons now, increasingly, there's a movement to take trans, you know, trans uh, females who are biological males and put them in women's prisons or women, whole, you know, women's uh, uh, jail facilities. And all the things that, Clay, we brought up to say, this is the logical terminus of the leftist insanity. This is where it's going. They said, you're fear-mongering. No one's going to do that. That will never happen. But when you understand the nature of the left's argument, you know that, of course, that's where it's going. So this is where we are now. This is essentially the eradication of women's achievement in sports before our very eyes. 
People who have spent countless hours, uh, blood, sweat, and tears trying to be the best they can at their sport. I mean, what, what's what's even the point now? I mean, you have to wonder how long before all of the women's records in different sports at the NCAA level and even at the professional level are held by biological males. It's not very long before that's going to happen at the current rate. And and so that's one big part of it. And the other part of it for me is I just think it's so interesting that, you know, there was this moment in time where people would still refuse. We are all now using the language of the left on this. And I find that I find that very troublesome. What I mean is, you know, you turn on, you know, news channels and everyone's saying she. Now, I believe, you know, my first name is James, in case anyone doesn't know. My middle name is Buckman, and I'm, I've been called Buck since a baby. My point being on that, you, you know, your name is whatever you want it to be, right? If somebody wants to be called, you know, if they change their name to Darth Vader legally, I'm going to call them Darth Vader. Whatever your name is, I'll call you, right? Gender is a biological reality. And part of the movement of the LGBTQ effort has been and what the left has wanted is for people to really be a party to a lie here. I mean, to the point where even the New York Times, which is a left wing rag, but the New York Times has had to have discussions internally about whether the plural usage they for individuals, even if it seems nice, is just so grammatically problematic because you're not multiple people. So it's confusing yes. to the reader we are now in a point where it's gone so far that, Clay, everyone I see in the news, this is a male. This is a male. We can say a transgender female if you want. It is not a female. This is a biological male, and we're all saying she and she's doing this and all that. Why? I mean, I, I'm, I, don't think that, I don't think that pronoun is an issue of preference. I think that pronoun is, is an issue of biological reality. And we're making a concession. I, I mean, this is all over the place, by the way. I'm, I'm sure I've done it, too, even unwittingly, the same way that occasionally, you know, you'll say, wait, the undocumented. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to say undocumented because it's everywhere now. My big thing is just you can't allow this to happen. And I've been on this for years as well. And it's so clear that men are bigger, stronger and faster than women. This is why we divided men's and women's sports hundreds of years ago. Because if men competed against women and we had a unisex competition, women would never win anything. And that's not me trying to demean all female athletes. I love athletics, period. But if we just had basketball and we didn't have men's and women's basketball, no woman would mostly ever even make a high school basketball team. Clay, Clay right? the, the best men's 16-year-old soccer team annihilated yes. the women's right. national Olympic team. Annihilated them. It was That's a joke. Right. There would be no women's soccer. There would be no women's tennis. There would be no women's track and field. At the Olympics, there would only be male medalists, pretty much. There might be some woman who is a great ice skating. shooter. Ice, ice skating. <laughs> you know. I think it depends on how you would define ice skating, right? Because they have women's ice skating. Male ice skaters are really good, to my understanding, too. Yeah, you're right, actually. Uh, maybe the artistry, so I, though, would push them over the top. Maybe the artistry, but I think, I mean, my, my wife was a, uh, was a gymnast, but men are able to jump bigger, higher, faster in terms of doing all of the things that women do as well, even in gymnastics. So my point here is, if you are going to allow biological men to compete against women, then you are destroying the entire fabric of women's athletics. So, Buck, what I find to be most disappointing about this entire process is 
Almost no one is willing to have this conversation. And all these female swimmers who are getting crushed by this biological man who has decided to identify as a woman, almost all of them are terrified to even speak out. The coaches are afraid they'll lose their jobs. The women who are 19, 20, 21 years old are afraid that they'll never be able to get a job because they'll get branded as transphobic if they speak out. Which which now... For folks, I know this might sound crazy, but in the more liberal corridors of the country, to be transphobic is right alongside being racist with you are an untouchable. That's right. You are someone who cannot. It is a liability to even have you around, certainly as part of a corporation, certainly as part of um, as part of a workforce. So, yeah, if you're an Ivy League swimmer and you're looking to get that job at, you know, Goldman Sachs or some hedge fund or some law firm or whatever, transphobic is the, that, that's the end. It's a kiss of death. That's the end of it for you. Yeah. And so how do you how do you reconcile this? I think it's such a big conversation because it's spreading down to the high school ranks. And some people say, well, this is not a big deal because women also compete against men. Yeah, but they never win. Women who decide to change and become men and compete against male athletes. Yeah, they don't destroy accomplishments. They, they get annihilated yes. and then they don't that's want to right. play the sport anymore against the men. This is destroying women's achievement. What's amazing is that the feminists are quiet on this because the feminists are actually just leftists trying to under under uh, or rather kick at the load bearing walls of American civilization. That's a quick way of putting it. But, Clay, I think this only goes away when uh, enough people are so sickened by it and just find it to be so detestable that there's a public outcry against it. But I think we're a long way away. You're going to have to have a lot of women's records destroyed and there'll have to be a movement to say, you know, sorry, we're going to take the names off the trophies for the best women's, you know, 500 meter, 800 meter, whatever, that are actually men. We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to allow this. We're going to. And that's years away, I think, because people are so look at what we see on the country. There's so much conformity. Everyone's just carrying around the little propaganda machines of their phone in their pocket all the time. And they're also scared of their friends that everyone's so terrified of being told that they're not a part of the smart, cool herd. Unfortunately, I think that's true. And man, I don't know how it's going to end. I think the women's athletics is going to be under a fundamental, an existential assault before this comes to a real head. Uh, Mike Lindell, he's the inventor of my pillow. His team fit us for our pillows. We got them all throughout the house. They're fantastic. And right now, for a limited time, Mike's offering his my pillows, the ones that started it all for the lowest price ever. You can get a standard my pillow for nineteen ninety eight. Originally cost sixty nine ninety eight. Fifty dollars savings with the promo code Clay and Buck. And right now, money back guarantee until March first of this year. We of next year. We absolutely love these products all throughout my house. You will as well, Buck. How do people get signed up? All you have to do right now for the lowest price offer Mike has put out there for these pillows in a long time, and he's extending that money-back guarantee, go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials, and enter promo code Clay and Buck. Write it all out, Clay and Buck, or call 800-792-3269. Again, that phone number for these amazing deals, 800-792-3269. You'll find rotating discounts on 150-plus MyPillow products. Giza Dream bed sheets, the slippers, the mattress top. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Upper the weighted blankets, and more. 